this is Dr. Alicia Armistead. Welcome to Healing Arts Podcast, Eat Well, Live Well, Be Well. And today's podcast has to do with how one feels after getting COVID. Unfortunately, with Omicron, I have now seen enough post-COVID patients from various strains to do this podcast. Good news is, if you have gotten COVID and you still feel off in any way, I have some health tips for you today to help you feel like your old self again. This podcast is for those who got COVID and please share it with any of your friends and family so we can help each other get through feeling better after getting COVID. Post-COVID or long-haul COVID are the terms used when symptoms or signs persist for more than two weeks after COVID-19 onset. I have seen symptoms continue for months after and include fatigue, headaches, poor focus or attention, shortness of breath, and actually, there's so many different varied symptoms. Symptoms after having COVID-19 continue after the initial infection because the SARS-CoV-2 virus goes into the body, causing more inflammation than the average virus. The number one place that inflammation hits is the airways and lungs because that's how it gets into the body. The second place this virus hits is the liver. We are aware that it affects the lungs, but no one is talking about the liver. So our goal at Healing Arts is to help boost up your immune system to reduce the inflammation while supporting the lungs and liver. Due to the effect the virus has on the liver, do not go for any medical procedures that include anesthesia for six months after having COVID-19, even if you don't have long-haul COVID. The liver will not be able to handle the anesthesia and you will have a hard time detoxing from it afterwards. So unless it's life or death, no anesthesia during this time. The attack that the SARS-CoV-2 virus does on the liver is actually similar to what the Epstein-Barr virus does to the liver. Epstein-Barr virus causes mono and is prevalent in high schoolers and college kids. Besides causing mono and attacking the liver, Epstein-Barr has a third stage of attacking the thyroid and causing the autoimmune disease known as Hashimoto's. I am now seeing in patients post-COVID, whether they have long-haul symptoms or not, that the SARS-CoV-2 virus also is in the thyroid. It is supposed to take months to years for the Epstein-Barr virus to hit the thyroid, and that's only after having a chronically weak liver. I'm seeing the SARS-CoV-2 virus hit the thyroid in weeks. What takes Epstein-Barr virus years is taking the SARS-CoV-2 virus only weeks. Because this is all new and we are still trying to figure out what the SARS-CoV-2 virus does to the body, here is what we know about the three stages of the Epstein-Barr virus. In the first stage, Epstein-Barr virus lives mostly dormant in the bloodstream while quietly building its numbers. In stage two, the Epstein-Barr virus springs to life and causes mono meanwhile seeking out a home in the infected person's organs, typically the liver, at which point it may go back into being dormant. Stage 1 and 2 can either last for weeks, months, or years, and a person may be completely unaware that he or she even has the virus. The only symptom may be a brief and mild scratchy throat with some tiredness. What I have learned from Anthony Williams is that in the stage three, the virus becomes highly active and destructive and now takes up residence in the thyroid. Anthony Williams is a medical medium who has written a fantastic book on the topic called Thyroid Healing. I'll leave a link of the book in the description. 
for I highly recommend it for anyone who wants to heal their thyroid. The virus picks the thyroid because it's a star of the endocrine system. The thyroid functions much like a data center for the body, keeping the body in balance, in homeostasis. I think this is also what the SARS-CoV-2 virus does too. When Epstein-Barr enters the scene, this ideal functioning gets thrown off, which in turn throws off the entire endocrine system. To compensate and power the body, the adrenal glands pump out excess adrenaline, which is one of the Epstein-Barr's favorite foods. The virus feasts on this adrenaline in order to get stronger, multiply, and go after its ultimate target, the nervous system. I think the SARS-CoV-2 virus doesn't care much for adrenaline, but wants the same ultimate target, the nervous system. So in essence, the thyroid illness can be a precursor to the Epstein-Barr-caused neurological conditions such as chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and multiple sclerosis, which is all the more reason why, if you're struggling with thyroid issues, you want to stop Epstein-Barr before it can develop into something worse. Eventually, I think science will see that the SARS-CoV-2 virus will do the same thing. While all this viral activity is happening in the thyroid, you may be highly aware that something is amiss and even have received a thyroid-related diagnosis, or you may not know that the thyroid issues are throwing your life out of balance. That's because, as in stage 1 and 2 of Epstein-Barr, the symptoms of stage 3 Epstein-Barr, which is when the virus enters the thyroid, can be either subtle or overwhelming. Much of this has to do with which strain of the Epstein-Barr you happen to have. There are over 60 different varieties of Epstein-Barr. Some are slow-moving and mild, while others are accelerated and aggressive. Once in the thyroid, Epstein-Barr literally drills actively and deeply into the tissue over time, scarring it and impeding its function. If you're a patient at Healing Arts and we've talked about scar tissue and taking sesame seed oil for internal scarring, this is one example of why it's so important to heal the scar tissue within the body. Because in this weakened state, the thyroid can become less effective at producing thyroid hormones. And the name that they give this is hypothyroidism, also known as underactive thyroid or low thyroid. And it is a mild early stage of Hashimoto's. Low thyroid or hypothyroidism can cause body temperature fluctuations, hair loss, fatigue, and dry skin. What about all the other symptoms typically associated with low thyroid hormone? They're symptoms of the Epstein-Barr that's infecting the thyroid, not low levels of thyroid hormones. Aches and pains, muscle weakness, memory issues, mood changes. These are viral symptoms, not a result of the hypothyroidism. Mysterious weight gain is a common symptom that leaves many people beyond frustrated when they have a low thyroid. You're watching what you eat, you exercise regularly, and the number on the scale actually keeps going up. You might have heard that this is a result of hypothyroid, that you have an underactive thyroid that's failing to produce enough hormones to keep your weight in check, but that's not how it works. Using muscle testing, I pick up on thyroid weakness due to the Epstein-Barr virus energy a lot in my office, even without the patient knowing that they have a thyroid issue. It is because we are picking up on it before it becomes a problem. 
Western medicine has done a lot of studies saying that the majority of Hashimoto patients have Epstein-Barr antibodies, so there might be a correlation. And I will tell you that there definitely is from what I see in the office. The autoimmune theory proposes that a person's immune system becomes confused and starts attacking a part of the body. In the case of Hashimoto's, Patients are told that the immune system mysteriously produces antibodies that target and damage the thyroid gland as though it was a foreign presence. This is not true. The body will never attack itself. It only goes after pathogens. Antibodies are signs that there's a pathogen in the body, that there's some sort of germ buried into the organs, and that the immune system is putting all of its energy into fighting off. This process of a pathogen invading cells and the body working to fight off that pathogen creates the inflammation. However, the pathogens that cause this physical response are usually undetected by doctors. By the time a virus has started to cause chronic illness in a patient, it usually has buried itself so deep into the person's organs that the virus doesn't show up on blood work. So it appears to be a bodily malfunction and it gets labeled autoimmune. But when somebody walks into healing arts with an autoimmune condition, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what pathogen, what germ is stuck in that organ? Because what's really happening with the weight gain is that back when Epstein-Barr was in stage two and hiding out in your liver, it weakened the organ and burdened it to the point of creating a sluggish liver. Then even after the virus moved on to the thyroid, some Epstein-Barr virus cells remained in the liver, where they could continue to cause trouble. Plus, Epstein-Barr virus presence in the body results in the ongoing production of viral byproducts, dead virus cells, and neurotoxins that give the liver and lymphatic system continuous work to be doing to purify and purge all those toxins. So they keep being overburdened. They keep being strained. All of that and the adrenal glands that are overcompensating for the underactive thyroid flood the liver with excess adrenaline, giving it even more of a toxic load. It's the resulting overburdened sluggish liver and lymphatic system that are behind a hypothyroid's patient's tendency to have difficulty losing weight or gaining pounds without control. So both the hypothyroid and the weight gain are caused by the virus. It's not the hypothyroid itself causing the weight gain. A lot of times I explain to patients that to lose weight, we need to support the liver, and this is why. When Epstein-Barr virus targets the thyroid gland, the immune system reacts in full force, and the result is inflammation. Inflammation is the body's natural response to invasion or injury. Have you ever gotten a splinter in the skin and as that healed, the skin around it got red, hot, and puffy? That's the body's response to inflammation to a foreign object that's causing cell damage. The same goes for the thyroid. If Epstein-Barr virus enters your thyroid, your immune system immediately knows and goes after it, causing the gland to become inflamed. This can come with a feeling of a sore throat, pressure in the throat, or a funny feeling in your neck. Inflammation like this could happen in any organ due to any pathogen or heavy metal or heavy chemical. Toxins cause inflammation, period. That's why our goal at Healing Arts is to help the body detox, and with the right nutrition, it can heal itself.
One of my favorite things to give patients to help them with a thyroid issue is iodine. I suggest getting the iodine from foods such as sea vegetables, kelp, bladderwrack, dulse. Iodine is known to help the thyroid, but it's not nutrition for the thyroid. It helps because it actually is antiseptic and it kills viruses and bacteria. Western medicine tells thyroid patients to avoid iodine. The reason there's confusion in this area is that when iodine reaches the thyroid, it kills off virus cells at an accelerated rate, which can temporarily elevate inflammation. Those patients for whom Epstein-Barr virus is only causing a mild thyroid issue can often do well on iodine, which is beneficial because it can help tame the virus before it advances to the point of causing Hashimoto's. On the other hand, too much iodine at once for someone with a high level of Epstein-Barr infection can overwhelm the thyroid because it starts killing off so many viruses at once that it becomes very inflamed and uncomfortable. This is why Western medicine doctors advise thyroid patients to stay away from iodine. This type of response from the body is called a die-off reaction or a Herxheimer reaction. It occurs when an immune challenge, any virus, bacteria, fungus, or parasite in the body is being killed too fast. When these things die, toxins are released literally. Pus and mucus builds up in the body, releasing pro-inflammatory proteins called cytokines. While some cytokine activity bolsters the immune system to fight the infection, too many of these cytokines can have an adverse effect. An overabundance of cytokines in the body leads to fatigue and pain and actually suppressing the immune system. It also can cause skin rashes and brain fog. And it's with post-COVID patients that eight weeks later, I am still seeing a high level of cytokines in their body. And this is even after putting them on a nutrition program to reduce the inflammation. So I'm telling you, even if you had COVID and your symptoms were mild, like let's say less than 24 hours of a slight cold, when I muscle test you, I will see cytokines stuck in the liver and the thyroid causing inflammation. But there's ways in which we can help with that, and I'll explain it in a minute. If Epstein-Barr virus weakens the body and feeds off adrenaline, I think that the SARS-CoV-2 weakens the body and feeds off glutathione, and that's why it loves the liver. SARS-CoV-2 goes into the body through the airways and starts attacking the lungs because that's where it settles first. But as it gets stronger and finds its way to the liver, it feeds off glutathione and becomes even stronger. This stage 2 in the liver doesn't happen for everyone if the immune system is strong enough to fight off the virus before it makes a home in the liver. Stage 3 is when it burrows itself deep within the thyroid the same way that the Epstein-Barr virus does. So the stages of Epstein-Barr and SARS-CoV-2 are similar except SARS-CoV-2 goes through the stages so quickly the body does not have time to recuperate and a lot more inflammation can occur. Depending on the body, this inflammation can look like lots of different things. A study, which I'll leave the link in the description, was done to show 50 different symptoms post-COVID. 
The majority of symptoms were fatigue and headaches, followed by attention disorder and hair loss. Besides supporting the immune system to fight the SARS-CoV-2, then supporting the lungs, the liver, and the thyroid, depending on what stage the body is going through, we also support the headache or the attention disorder or the hair loss by doing everything we can to reduce inflammation. What I'm seeing in the office that is testing the most often with great results besides the usual vitamin D with K, the vitamin C, and zinc is four different supplements. I will leave their link in the description below. One is inflammation relief, one is wellness blend, hydrooxygen, and glutathione as a supplement. Inflammation relief is a supplement that I developed to reduce inflammation in the body, including the cytokine response. The supplement contains curcumin, go-to cola, quercetin, boswellia, bromelain, magnesium, black pepper, and fenugreek, which are all amazing herbs to reduce inflammation. This supplement is good for the post-COVID patient who is still having headaches or muscle aches. Wellness Blend is the first supplement I ever formulated to really help boost up the immune system when sick or to take as a preventative getting sick. Ingredients include garlic, liposomal vitamin C, mugwort, echinacea, oregano, lysine, eucalyptus, and golden seal. This supplement tests well for patients who just need that extra immune system support. Hydrooxygen are drops of oxygen that the body needs to heal faster. These drops are especially good for the post-COVID patient who is still coughing or having trouble breathing. And we can also give a glutathione supplement to replenish what the SARS-CoV-2 virus used. We can also increase your glutathione naturally. Glutathione is one of the body's most important and potent antioxidants. Antioxidants are substances that reduce oxidative stress by combating free radicals in the body. While most antioxidants are found in the foods we eat, glutathione is actually produced by our body, by our liver, using three main amino acids, glutamine, glycine, and cysteine. There are a number of reasons why our body's glutathione levels may be depleted, including poor diet, chronic disease, infection, and constant stress. Glutathione is also known to decrease with age. Maintaining adequate levels of this antioxidant is incredibly important for your health in general, not just post-COVID. And here's what you can do to ensure healthy glutathione levels. 1. Consume sulfur-rich foods. Sulfur is an important mineral that occurs naturally in some plant and protein foods. Sulfur is required for the liver to make the glutathione. Sulfur is found in fish, beef, and poultry, as well as cruciferous vegetables. Cruciferous vegetables are a family of vegetables known for their sulfur content and include broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, bok choy, arugula, watercress, collard greens, mustard greens. But eating too much cruciferous vegetables at once can bloat you due to the sulfur. Allium vegetables include garlic, shallots, and onions also boost glutathione levels. 
Number two, increase your vitamin C intake. Vitamin C is found in strawberries, citrus fruits, papayas, kiwis, and bell peppers. This vitamin has many functions, including working as an antioxidant itself. It also maintains the body's supply of other antioxidants, including glutathione. Researchers have discovered that vitamin C may help increase glutathione levels by attacking free radicals first, thereby sparing glutathione. They also found that vitamin C helps reprocess glutathione by converting oxidized glutathione back to its active form. The same study also showed that taking 500 to 1,000 milligrams vitamin C increased glutathione levels in the white blood cells by 18%. Another study showed that taking 500 milligrams of vitamin C per day increased glutathione in red blood cells by 47%. Vitamin C's relationship with glutathione is why intravenous vitamin C drips are helpful when treating COVID. Dr. Andrew Weber, a pulmonologist in New York City, has been giving his intensive care patients who have been infected with COVID 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C intravenously several times a day as part of his antiviral protocol. Three, add selenium-rich foods to your diet. Selenium is an essential mineral and a glutathione cofactor, meaning it's a substance that is needed for glutathione to work. Some of the best sources of selenium are beef, chicken, cottage cheese, brown rice, and Brazil nuts. By increasing your intake of selenium, you may help maintain or increase your body's supply of glutathione. Number four, eat foods naturally rich in glutathione. The human body produces glutathione, but you can also get it from spinach, avocados, asparagus, and okra. However, dietary glutathione is somehow not absorbed very well by the body. So to help the body absorb glutathione, number five is add turmeric to your diet. Turmeric is that very bright yellow-orange herb popular in Indian cuisine. The medicinal properties of turmeric are likely linked to the curcumin that's in it. It's the curcumin content that's so much more concentrated in a supplement than just using the powder to cook with. You have to make sure if you use a supplement, though, that black pepper is added because black pepper contains ingredients in it that makes the curcumin be absorbed by the body by over 2,000% more. So I feel like if you don't have the black pepper with the curcumin, you're not going to be able to absorb much. Numerous studies have shown that turmeric and curcumin extracts have the ability to increase glutathione levels. Research also says that curcumin may assist in restoring adequate levels of glutathione, improve the activity of glutathione enzymes. Number six, consider milk thistle. Milk thistle supplements are another way to boost glutathione levels naturally because milk thistle has its own antioxidant properties. Number seven, get enough sleep. A good night's sleep is essential for overall health. Interestingly, long-term lack of sleep can cause oxidative stress and even hormone imbalance. And as if that wasn't bad enough, other research shows that Chronic lack of sleep decreases glutathione levels. So make sure you get good restorative sleep each night and that can help 
boost up your levels of glutathione. And if you don't sleep well, listen to my podcast episode called Sleep Well. I'll leave a link in the description. Number eight, the last glutathione health tip is to exercise regularly. Regular exercise, of course, is good for both your physical and mental health. Research shows that exercise is also helpful in maintaining and increasing glutathione. Studies show that it is a combination of both cardio and circuit weight training that increases glutathione the most, compared to only cardio or compared to only weight training. However, overtraining without a proper diet and rest can deplete your levels because too much exercise is a different type of stress on the body. The good news is viruses can only affect us if we have a weak immune system. For the most part, a strong, healthy body, the virus will come in and the virus will go out, creating very little damage, even if it's the SARS-CoV-2. The body's own innate immune system is the strongest thing against any virus or other germ for that matter. Having a strong immune system is dependent on a healthy, nutrient-dense diet and a healthy lifestyle of good exercise and sleep. The less stress, the better for mind and body health and a body void of as many toxins as possible. We live and breathe this concept at Healing Arts. We live this lifestyle, eat healthy, and take our supplements for optimal health. So whether you got COVID or you're fighting it now or you're still feeling the aftermath of it, know that if you give the body the right support, it can heal.